introduction into what James is saying here. So I'm just going to focus on, I'll read all of the verses, uh, verses 1 through 12, but I'm really going to focus just on verse 1 for today. And then we'll come back and finish up the other 11 verses next Sunday. James chapter 3. Verses 1 through 12. It reads, My brethren, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn their whole body. Look also at ships, although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how great a forest a little fire kindles. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring send forth fresh water and bitter from the same opening? Can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives or a grape vine bear figs? Thus, no spring yields both salt water and fresh. Let us pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us again to come and to hear your word. I pray that you would speak to us through your word as we are uh, starting James chapter 3. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see uh, first what James says about those who desire to teach, but then for a broader lesson, help us to see how we use our tongue uh, towards one another is indicative of how we truly view you. I pray, Lord, that you would give us understanding in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. Again, I'm not going to go through all 12 of these verses. I want to just particularly focus on verse 1. I I wrestled with what to call this passage. Uh, I wanted to want to wanted to call it how to handle your tongue. All right. So how to handle is we've been looking at that for each each section so far. I wanted to say how to handle your tongue because the majority of this passage is about um, our tongue, what we say. Um, And yet I don't think that that is the main focus of the passage. I think that verse one is where the subject lies in this passage. Bless you. And so instead, I will title this how to handle teachers. How to handle teachers. If we were to go to any big inner city in America, and randomly ask school-age boys what they want to be when they grow up, I would have to bet 
that many of them would say a football player or a basketball player. For some, sports is seen as the only avenue out of a life of struggle. But for many, sports is not just an opportunity for a better life. It is about fame, fortune, status, and fulfilling dreams. Literally, everyone thinks that they are the next Michael Jordan, LeBron James, and Steph Curry. Okay. Literally everyone. Okay. Um, but can you blame these young boys? America teaches our young boys to desire this type of lifestyle. We take teenage boys, put a ball in their hand, and then we pay them tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars, and then we tell everyone else to be like Mike. Okay. Now, for those of you who don't, who don't know what I'm talking about, like in the 1990s, that was like, according to my children, like, you know, a long, long time ago, like, you know, in the olden days is the, is the exact phrase that Karis used. In the olden days when you grew up, okay, so we had commercials, right, you know, and they say, the commercials say, be like Mike, all right? So um, we, 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 we tell everyone else, these are the people to look up to. This is who you should be like. And although everyone believes that they are good enough to become a professional athlete, the statistics tell a different story. Now, in April of 2019, this year, the NCAA produced a probability table on a person's chance of becoming a professional athlete. Okay. This quote is taken directly from the NCAA website. More than 480,000 compete as NCAA athletes and just a select few within each sport move on to compete at the professional or Olympic level. The table presents um, of how many NCAA athletes move on to professional careers in sports like basketball, football, baseball, and ice hockey. Professional opportunities are extremely limited and the likelihood of a high school or even college athlete becoming a professional athlete is very low. In contrast, the likelihood of an NCAA athlete earning a college degree is significantly greater. Graduation success rates are 86% in Division I, 71% in Division II, and 87% in Division III. So, according to the NCAA, what are the chances of an NCAA student becoming a professional athlete? If you want to be in Major League Baseball, you have a 9.8% chance of moving from being in, in the NCAA into Major League Baseball. If you want to be a part of the NBA, only 1.2% of students make it. If you want to be in the WNBA, 0.9%. If you want to be in the NFL, 1.6%. If you want to be in the National Hockey League, only 6.9% make it. So the truth is that not many student athletes become 
professional athletes, even though everyone thinks that they are good enough. In regards to college basketball, college basketball players can declare for the NBA draft. Among other things, this gives them the opportunity to hire an agent, to work out with NBA teams, and to get feedback on their skills. One thing that we see in college basketball is many students thinking they are good enough declare early. So they play their freshman year, some even make it to their sophomore year, and then they declare to become a part of the NBA draft. And I don't know the statistics on this, but uh, my bet is given the statistics that the NBA NCAA put out, that most people who only play freshman or sophomore year thinking that they are good enough to skip straight into the NBA, they probably don't make it. And they usually don't make it because they have not spent enough time developing themselves. Now, the reason I went through all of this is literally because this week I heard a story that was similar to this but that I thought was actually encouraging. Uh, Anthony Cowan Jr. of uh, at College Park, he's a guard for College Park, he declared early for the draft. After three seasons, after his junior year, he declared early for the draft and so he was able to work out with two professional teams. And after working out with two professional teams and listening to the scouts and getting feedback on, on his, his chances of being drafted, he withdrew his name from the draft. And he will continue his senior year leading College Park's basketball team. Now... Some people may think that uh, that's a bad story, but I don't really think that it's a bad story. Number one, he was able to work out with, with Sacramento Kings. I forget the other, other team that he um, worked out with, but he was able to work out with a professional team who was able to evaluate him and tell him of his chances. And they told him the things that he needed to work on and so now he's going to go back. He's able to work on those things. He can still try to try for the draft at the end of this year, but he will also be graduating this year with a degree in communications, just in case the NBA does not work out. Now, you all are probably sitting here thinking, what in the world has this got to do with James chapter 3? <laughs> Right. I, I just, you know, I, I just don't get it. Right. Um, I think that the church in America has the same problem that inner city young boys have. I think that there are too many people who desire to be teachers. I believe that the reason that this is so is because of a confluence of factors that are similar to the desire for fortune, fame, and status that we see within those in the NBA. 
by 2017, there were 1,600 megachurches in America. So 1,600 churches that have 2,000 members or more. So that's what a megachurch is. You have 2,000 members or more. Okay. There's 1,600 churches in America. However, there are more than 300,000 churches. So just over half of 1% of all churches. Listen to that. Half of 1% of all churches are mega churches. But these are the people who have the money to be on television, radio, throwing conferences. So everyone believes that even though 99.5% of churches are not like this, everyone believes that this is what church is. And so we see people driving luxury vehicles. We see people flying around in private jets. We see people wearing expensive clothes, and we see people packing out stadiums and arenas and selling books and, and CDs, and, and we think that this is what Christianity is. And then we are told that this is what God does for those people who are close to him. In addition to seeing this distorted viewpoint of Christianity, the way the church markets leadership and leadership training is also a problem. Whenever you are sold, right, and I say sold, okay, on a conference, you are told that if you come to this conference, they will give you certain types of skills. They'll teach you, give you certain abilities. And it is all centered around how to draw a crowd and keep them engaged. And so we we teach you how to be self-centered in ministry. We want you to focus on your gifts, your talent, your calling. In other words, we're teaching you how to be charismatic, but we don't teach you about character. These and other um, factors, I believe, cause people to desire a teaching role in the church. People want to be pastors, Sunday school teachers, cell group leaders, and a host of other roles that give them an opportunity to teach other people the word of God. But James has some advice for all of us in James chapter 3, verse 1. And I was thinking about this. Maybe we should have like a, like a draft for churches, you know. We can have people declare for like the preaching draft. <laughs> and, you know, and then we get like, okay, you are you are one seed, all right, but you like you know, you like a three, <laughs> like I, I don't know. Anyway, let's get back to what James says. James chapter three verse one. James' advice is, my brethren, and uh, if we want to be egalitarian, and my sisterin, okay. Let not many of you become teachers. My brothers and sisters, many of us should not be teachers. And James tells us in the second part of this verse why many of us should not be seeking the role of teaching other people the word of God. He says, knowing that we shall receive 
a stricter judgment. James states that the fact that we will have a more strict judgment on Judgment Day should be a deterrent for many of us to become teachers. Now, notice no one says this when they are trying to get people to teach. Okay, all right. Yeah, you, you should teach. You got skills. You, you no one says, oh, but by the way, on Judgment Day, God is going to call you forward and judge you for all of the things that you have taught other people. James is letting us know that we should pause before stepping into this role because on the day of judgment, we will have to answer for what we said and did as teachers in the church of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to focus here, as I normally do when we start off on some subjects, um, by just taking a survey of what the Bible says about this subject. Why does James say that many people should not be uh, uh, teachers? Why should we be concerned about judgment? And I think that the reason that most people don't see things the way James sees it is because we really don't understand the role of a teacher in the church. Okay. We believe that the role of a pastor, teacher, Sunday school person, and I said to, to Janita in the back, I said, this might not be the right Sunday. I said, we just asked people to sign up to help teach vacation Bible school. And then I have a message on why people shouldn't be teachers. But, <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but we still need volunteers to teach. You know, <laughs> we still need. <laughs> All right. But I, I think that we just don't understand the role of a teacher. We think, okay, because we, we think about teachers. We have several people that, that are teachers in, in the school system, right? But we think that the role of a teacher, just like in school, is to communicate information, and that is not what the Bible says is the role of a teacher, someone who is communicating the word of God in any capacity. Okay, So this is what I want to do. A couple passages of scripture I want us to look at. I want us to take a survey of what the Bible says about the role of a teacher, someone who is communicating the word of God. Um, and these principles, I think, are broad enough to cover every role, not just a pastor, but anyone who is teaching the word of God in any capacity. All right. So, uh, we're going to start in Matthew, Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to go through these passages and then we'll be, be done. Matthew chapter 23. Starting at verse 1. Again, what I want you to keep in mind is that teaching is not just the communication of information. Okay. Number one, I want us to see that teachers must be humble servants. Teachers must be humble servants. Listen to what Jesus says here in chapter 23, starting at verse 1. Then Jesus spoke to the multitudes and to his disciples, saying, Scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. 
Okay, so when you have someone, these scribes and Pharisees, they are sitting in the position of authority. They're in Moses' place. And so when they teach you something, I want you to make sure that you obey what they say and do what they say. But, listen to what Jesus goes on to say, do not do according to their works, for they say and they do not do. Okay. So these teachers are communicating to you what the truth is, but in their own lives, they don't live it out. Okay. So everyone who knows what Ma- about Matthew chapter 23, Jesus just walks around, hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. Okay. So he just, he just, whole chapter, he just calling them out, hypocrite, 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 hypocrite. Okay. Because he, they are taking a leadership position to teach other people, but they don't live out the, what they are saying themselves. Don't do what they do for they say and do not do verse four for they bind heavy burdens hard to bear and lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers but all of their works they do to be seen by men they just want to be seen they they make their phylacteries broad and enlarge the borders of their garments they love the best places at feast the best seats in the synagogues, greetings in the marketplaces, and to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi. But you do not be called Rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ, and you are all brethren. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. Now, listen to what Jesus says. He says that there are many people who are in positions of authority, right? People who are rabbis and teachers, right? That's where rabbi just means teacher. So you have this position, but you are not living out what you say. I um, was laughing. We talked about this on on Wednesday, but Janita is in a group. And um, uh, like a little cell group kind of a thing in my in my neighborhood with some women in my in my neighborhood. And um, one of the people in the group was saying that um, somehow they were talking about church and and um, she was talking to a church that she used to go to. And when she said the pastor's name, uh, one of the women in the group was like, girl, he a wolf in sheep's clothing. And the the woman who used to be a member of the church said, no, he's a wolf in wolf's clothing. Okay. I was like, dude, <laughs> that's, that's real bad, right? That That's bad. That's bad. Okay. But the point Jesus is making is that there are some people who have this position that they tell you what to do, but they don't live it themselves. That's not why they're in ministry. They're in ministry for the benefits of ministry. He says that they, they make their phylacteries broad and, and wear certain garments so that when you see them, you know, oh, yeah, that's Bishop so-and-so. They love for people to call them rabbi, rabbi, right? They love to be greeted in the marketplace. They want people to recognize them. It just, some things just bother me, like, you know, when, I just go places, just random places, you know. I'm in the mall, and I just see people walking around with, you know, like their clergy collar on. And I'm just like, 
Like, where you? I mean, you if you was coming from something, I mean, I, granted, but but some people just, why are you wearing this? You you want to be recognized. I remember the night of the Freddie Gray riots when, you know, I was went out there that night and I just, I'm just in my regular clothes. I'm just out here trying to, wh- what's going on? How can I help people, right? And so many people come out there with their collars on. They came out with their collars on. They showed up. It's like, with, and I'm literally, where's the camera? They, <laughs> they went over there, stood, made a few comments on the cameras, and I watched them immediately leave from walking, walked up, get on camera, got back in that car, and went home. I need to be, just to be recognized. I got to be seen as for the community. There are some people who do it just to be seen for the benefits that come to sit at the head of the table. And Jesus says, don't be like that. If you are a teacher, you must be a humble servant. Jesus says that the greatest among you should be the one who serves. And we will all remember that the night before Jesus was crucified, Jesus is with his disciples. And he goes into the upper room, and and everyone is in the upper room, and yet they need to eat, but no one has washed anyone's feet. Remember, Right before Jesus died, just a couple of days before that, they're arguing about who is the greatest among us? Who's the greatest among us? And then they get to the upper room and, and, and everyone feels that they're at the top of the list. So nobody wants to wash anyone's feet. And Jesus himself, who is God in the flesh, he gets up from the table. He girds himself with a towel and he starts washing everyone's feet. And Jesus says, this is the example that I'm setting for you all. If I, your Lord and master, can wash your feet, you should be able to do the same for one another. See, those people who want to be leaders must be humble servants. You cannot be involved in ministry just for the benefits. You should be involved in ministry to serve. Number two. Second thing I want us to see about those who desire the role of teachers comes from Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I want us to see in this passage, and it's kind of funny that uh, this is a parable. This is a parable about the blind leading the blind. Okay, (laughs) keep that in mind. Okay, there's a parable about the blind leading the blind. Uh, Here, Jesus tells us that teaching is not just communicating information to others. It is training others to be like yourself. Okay, so when you're teaching someone, you are training them to be just like you. Look at verse 39. Luke chapter 6, verse 39. And he spoke a parable to them. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a ditch? 
A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will what? Be like his teacher. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not perceive the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, brother, let me remove the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the plank that is in your own eye? Hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, Jesus is saying here, that a disciple, right, because the word disciple, mathetes, means someone who learns, okay? So a learner, someone who is learning from you, someone that you are teaching, when they are fully taught, they will be just like you, okay? Um, I love how this all works out when people come and say, oh, you know, my, you know, my child, I don't know why they act like this. I don't know where they get this from. I, don't, I just don't understand, And I say, when a disciple is fully taught, <laughs> they will be just like their master. I heard this pastor say one time, sometimes uh, we spanking our children, but what we're really trying to do is spank us out of our children. <laughs> I was like, ooh, I got to steal that. <laughs> right. When a disciple is fully taught, he or she will be just like his or her teacher. Jesus goes on to talk about how we should stop trying to get a speck out of someone else's eye, and we got a whole beam stuck in our eye. Okay. See, Jesus' point is that you cannot help someone else to grow if there's something that you are have, have stuck in your life that you aren't dealing with because... No matter how hard you try, you will never help someone grow beyond where you are. It's just not possible. When you are teaching and training and discipling someone, they will become just like you. With all of your benefits and all of your liabilities. Okay, That's just the way it works. Number three. Not only must teachers be humble servants, not only is teaching about training someone to be like you, teaching requires your undivided attention. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 6. I know I'm moving through this quickly, but I want to make sure that we get out on time so we can get to the restaurant. Acts chapter 6. I want you to see in this passage that teaching requires your undivided attention. Is everyone there? Act 6. Listen to what Luke writes. He said, verse 1, Now in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. 
Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Phocorus, and Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, try saying that fast, and, <laughs> and proselyte, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Now, I want to be very careful and sensitive in, um, in, in this point. In this passage, they are wrestling with some very sensitive issues in uh, the church. Some people say that this is a struggle over the issue of racism in the church. I don't really think that that is what the struggle is here. Because notice, first, that both groups of people are Jews. Okay. So the, the, both groups of people are Jews. There's not, there's not two different races here. There's only one group of people. Okay. Um, first, the issue here is not racism. It is about culture. Okay. There are two types of Jews in the church at this point. One are going to be Jews who held to Jewish culture, right, the traditions and, uh, of Jewish culture. But then there were people who we would probably would call, right, progressives, Right. They had had moved from holding to conservative Jewish culture and they had now adopted Greek culture. They were called Hellenist. OK, so. The, the, con the conservatives, the one who had had held on to their traditional uh, culture, they're in charge of distribution. Okay. And so just like today, when you have conservatives and liberals or conservatives and progressives, there's animosity here, okay? So as, as, as the conservatives are, are doling out the food for the widows, the Hellenists get slighted. They're not receiving what they are supposed to receive as far as distribution for widows. And as always, no one is able to handle anything in the church without the pastor, so they run to the apostles. Okay. Well, you, you got to do something. You got you to gotta fix this problem. And what does the, do the apostles say? They say, it is not right to leave the word of God to serve tables. I understand that, that, that people are hungry and people need these things, but my job is to focus on the word of God and prayer. I must stay focused on what is most important, and that is the spiritual need of the people. Now, your physical needs are also important. You need your physical needs taken care of. Taken care of. So what we need to do is train and equip a group of people that can take care of your physical needs so that I can stay focused on your spiritual needs, is what the apostles are saying. This is something that I think the church itself is wrestling with now. Right. Um, I recently had a conversation with 
um, with someone, and, and, and he said that he believes that as a pastor I'm suspect because he doesn't see me out marching on the corner for justice. And I had to help the brother understand that God didn't call me to fight for justice. He called me to fight for the gospel. And, and the number one way that I fight for, the, for justice is to give people the gospel. Because the reason that there is injustice in the world is because people are separated from God and therefore they're separated from one another. So Ephesians chapter 2, if I can reconcile people to God, they will be reconciled to one another. And so what we should do is equip and train church members to be able to take what they are hearing and apply it in the world to bring forth justice because justice is the heart of God. Teaching requires our undivided attention. When you have this role, you must stay focused and not be divided on other things. Number four. I want us to look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. First Thessalonians chapter 2. This passage is is not one of the passages that will be used to call people into ministry today. <laughs> it is the opposite of why people go into ministry. Paul says that teaching is not just communicating information to others. It is committing your entire life to them and being willing to suffer and labor for them to receive the gospel. It is not giving information. It is giving your whole life and being willing to suffer and labor so that others can hear the gospel. Listen to what Paul says, starting at verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we were suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Much conflict. And if you're going to be in ministry, you will definitely know that there's much conflict in the church. <laughs> For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. God is witness. So I didn't, we don't come with, you know, crafty words that make you say, ooh. Right? No, we, did, we didn't do any of that stuff. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you 
just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Now think about that. How 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 gentle that you must how gentle you must be, right? You have to treat the church like a nursing mother with her infant. That's how sensitive you have to be. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel, but what? Our own lives. We didn't just give you the gospel. We imparted to you our own lives. We spent time with you. We come to your house. You come to our house. We fellowship. We hang out. We don't just give you information and then walk off the stage and then you're left to do to handle it on your own. We spend time with you. I'm giving you my own life. This is not something that you do from nine to five, right? This is not something that, that you do on Sundays and then as soon as service is over, I'm off to my own to chill and hang out. When we teach, we are giving people our entire life. We are, we are putting our life on hold, right? Trust me, I know. <laughs> spring break. Oh, everybody's out partying. I don't go on spring break. It's Easter. Christmas vacation. Ooh, we got Christmas. Yeah, we got Christmas. <laughs> we got Christmas service. You, you, you got to put your life on hold to serve the people of God. That's what a teacher does. He says, I did not neglect giving you the word of God, but even my own life, because you have become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to you, um, uh, um, to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. So Paul is saying that instead of being, you know, just keep collecting money in order to have people pay for them to live for free. They actually worked during the day so that they can preach at night. You have to labor to make sure that people can hear the word of God. Number five, moving quickly. Teaching requires you to know and understand what you are talking about. And trust me, you would think that this is not a big point to make, but it is a big point. That's why I watch Christian television. So nobody knows what they're talking about. <laughs> Turn with me again <laughs> to 1 Timothy chapter 1. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Keep going to your right. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to set this up. I remember uh, I have a friend and... Um, we would sometimes talk about Bible things, right? And um, I remember my first year of taking Greek, and one of my friends 
who had never been to seminary, but he, you know, studies a lot on his own. He would just ask me questions, ask me questions about things. And so um, somehow we got, we were talking about um, the Greek word lagos. And um, he was like, well, what, what is the word lagos means word? Well, what is a word? Well, it's an, it's an expression of a thought. Okay. So, and uh, he was like, well, see, Jesus existed in the mind of God because he was the lagos. No, sir, that's not, that's, no, that's, that, that's not what, that's not what John was trying to say, okay? So, um, you know, we debate, we go back and forth, and, and so then, um, maybe about a year or so ago, I just happened to, you still think that Jesus existed in the mind of God from all eternity? Well, no, no, I don't think he existed in the mind of God. I believe that he was the mind of God. I'm like, no, sir, no, mm, you, you still, you still have not. <laughs> you still have not gotten to the to the place where you need to be. And so as I'm talking to him, he hit every single heresy about Jesus in the first four centuries of the church. I say, brother, you got to work on this. You you teaching people. You, you got to get this together, right? You got to know what you are talking about. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine, nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which cause disputes rather than godly edification, which is in faith. Now, the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience and from sincere faith, from which some having strayed have turned aside to idle talk desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things which they affirm. Okay. I'm, I'm, I'm putting you here in this city to teach the truth because there are people who want to teach the word, but they don't have a clue what they're talking about. And what they're doing is turning people away from God rather than turning them to God. So you got to know what you are talking about. You can't just get up and tell your opinion. You must know the word of God. Okay. Moving on, next point. I'm almost done. I want us to see that teaching is not just communication, communicating information to others. It is living as an example for other people to follow. And now I think that this is what is tied to probably in James's mind about why people should not be teachers, right? Um, because they will have a stricter judgment because we're telling people, look at me, be like me. Okay. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. Um, this is something that... Um, I don't, I don't hear any pastor saying this, probably because that if we did, people would get mad. Um, but I, it is absolutely biblical, okay? First Corinthians 11, 1 Corinthians 11.1. Read it out loud. It's in your Bible, so I don't want you to think I'm making this stuff up. What does it say? 
happening. Notice Paul does not say follow Christ or imitate Christ. He says, imitate me, follow my example as I follow Christ. Live your life like me because I'm living my life like Christ. Paul sets himself as the example that people are supposed to follow, right? Because he believed that as an apostle, he was following Christ and people were right to follow his example. Does anyone see that? 1 Timothy chapter 4. Back to 1 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12. Paul is giving advice to Timothy. He says, let no one despise your youth. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example. Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity, till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of my hands, um, on the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrines, continue in them, for in doing this, you will what? Save both yourself and those who hear you. You might be younger than everyone else, Timothy, but don't let anyone despise you because of your, because of your youth. You are supposed to set an example in what you say and how you act and in faith, in love. Be an example for other people and make sure you spend time studying and reading because in being an example and continuing in the word, you will save yourself and those who listen to you. Paul is telling his disciple that he has to be an example for people to follow. Because one of the things that you're going to learn, you know, if you want to be a teacher, is that people aren't going to listen to what you say. They, they just aren't. I learned that as a parent. <laughs> right? People aren't going to listen to what you say. They're going to watch what you do and act accordingly. Right? That's just the nature of it. People are going to follow your example more then follow what you say. Last, I want you to see in Titus chapter 2, one book to your right, Titus chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Titus 2, 6 through 8. Paul says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern or an example of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. Okay. Right. Live as an example. Have good works so that 
when you debate with people on Facebook, okay, even though they disagree, y'all caught that, right? <laughs> even when they disagree with you, right, they won't have anything to say a bad about you. Okay. That's his point. You have to have such a good example that even when people disagree with you, they still have respect for you. Okay. So it is not just about communicating information. It is about living as an example for other people to follow. Last two points real quickly. For teachers, character is just as important as your desire and your skills. Character is just as important as your desire and your skills. I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Notice we're spending a lot of time in uh, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus. Uh, these are uh, Paul's uh, pastoral epistles, right? And so he's writing to people who um, are going to be teachers in the church. Listen to what he says, starting at verse 1, 1 Timothy chapter 3. Verses one through seven. Many um, people know um, know this passage, um, but remember, Paul is giving us qualifications for people. He says who wants to be bishops. All right, but remember that the word uh, um, bishop here is used interchangeably with the word pastor. Okay, so pastor, bishop, and elder is all the same person. Okay, in in, in Paul's writing. He did not break out the positions the way we do today, okay? So an elder is the same word for minister. So you become a minister, then you get your own church, and you, you are a pastor, and then you have people who are under you, so you're a bishop. That's not Paul's thinking, right? The word pastor, bishop, and elder are interchangeable. It is one person with three roles, okay? Not three different people with, with one role, okay? Um, but listen to what he says. Verse, uh, verse 1, this is a faithful saying, if a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. Okay. Now notice Paul does not say that if a, if, if a person is called to this position, right, they desire a good work. Right. I believe that the calling of God comes through our desires, because I think this is what Paul is trying to say. If a person desires this office, this person desires a good work. Okay. Now, Paul then goes on to say everyone who desires this role must meet certain qualifications. Okay. Notice that in these qualifications, there is only one qualification that deals with skills. That is the ability to teach. All of the other um, um, qualifications are about character, about the person, okay? Listen to what he says. He says, a bishop then must be blameless. The word means that no accusation can stick. If someone accuses you of something, when people hear it, mm, doesn't sound like him. They give you the benefit of the doubt. Okay. The person must be blameless. The husband of one wife, okay? Uh, I, I think Paul's point is, you know, the, the, literally in Greek, this is a one woman man. Okay. 
I'm say that again. A one woman man. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. One at a time, sir. Just one. Just just one at a time. Okay. Okay. Not the not have the first lady and the first girlfriend. Okay. Okay. You gotta have take them one at a time, sir. Okay. Be blameless. The husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach. Only one example, okay? I mean, one skill, able to teach, okay? So you got to be blameless, faithful, temperate, sober-minded, have good behavior, hospitable. You got to like people, okay? Able to teach, not given to wine. Not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome. Okay, so we're back to not fighting. Okay, okay, okay. And you, you seriously go on YouTube and Google church fights. Okay. okay, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not um, know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the house of God? Okay. It, it, if your own family won't listen to you, why do you think we won't listen to you? Okay. Okay. That's his point, right? If you can't manage your own household, how can you manage God's household? Not a novice, meaning not a new Christian, right? You should be a, a mature Christian, right? Less being puffed up with pride, he falls into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony amongst those who are outside, meaning unbelievers. So you shouldn't just have a good reputation with Christians. Even unsaved people should look at you as someone with good character. So ministry is about skill. You must be able to teach. But it is just as important, and sometimes maybe slightly more important, to have good character. As I said, a TD Jakes, I will never be. Okay, you know, you're not gonna come in here and get ready, get ready, get ready. That's not, that's not me. That's not me. Okay, that's that's just that's just not me. Okay, but, <laughs> but, you know, I hope that I'm setting a good example f um, for you to be able to follow. And that if you, if you even hear accusations, you know, you would say, I, I, don't, I don't know if that's true. Might not, it may be true, but you should at least be like, mm, it, doesn't, don't, it doesn't sound right. It doesn't sound right. Last one, and then we're finished. Teaching is a great honor, but it comes with a lot of severe accountability. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. Keep your hand in 1 Timothy, but turn to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Teaching is a great honor that comes with a lot of severe accountability. Listen to what Paul says 
in verse six, uh, we've talked, we've looked at this passage before. Um, a lot of people, we know verse seven, right? But, but it's divorced from the context. Verse seven says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. Okay. And so we get this principle, you reap what you sow. But look at the verse that um, proceeds that one verse. Listen to what verse 6 says. It says, Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Paul's point here is that those people who are teaching you the word, you are supposed to share your resources with that person so that that person can have give their undivided attention to serving the word of God. Okay. Now, people are like, he can work just like I work. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. What a man sows, he will also reap. Okay. In, in context. Okay. Now, so turn back to 1 Timothy chapter 5. So Paul is saying that if a person shares with you spiritual things, you should take care of that person's physical need. That's that's his point. He says the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 5, but he goes further. Now, it is a great honor and benefit to be able to teach people the word of God. Okay, But it comes with very severe accountability. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 5, starting at verse 17. You have never, ever, 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 ever heard this passage preached outside of the upper room. And I guarantee you, you probably will never, ever, ever hear it preached outside of the upper room. You will hear the first two or three verses, and then they'll say, look at me. And then they say, now turn to this. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> listen to what verse 17 says it says let the elders and remember i just said elder bishop pastor same person okay anyone who is in this office of, of being a clergy okay let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Okay, so those who, who serve in this role, let them be receive double honor. In case you all are confused what double honor is, that means money. How do I know? Verse 18, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And in red, so this comes from Jesus, the laborer is worthy of his wages. Okay? So take care of the people who serve you in the word of God is Paul's point. OK, verse 19, do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. If someone comes and says one person, oh, I saw you passed out at he's like, mm, I should probably tell the church, but it's only one person. You got any witnesses? No, I had no witnesses. Oh, we can't take that accusation, okay? Because this person deserves honor. Don't receive an accusation unless you have two or three witnesses, okay? So honor. Pay the person. Give them the benefit of the doubt, 
Okay. And and at this point, we say, okay, now look up and turn to the next passage. Okay. And we don't we don't let you read the next couple of verses. We don't want you to to see what comes along with getting paid and being shown respect. But Paul goes on to say, those who are sinning. Don't receive an accusation except for if you have two or three witnesses. But when you have the witnesses, and we know that this is true, okay, I was taught only God, you know, you, 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 you trust God. God's going to get me. That's not the word. I'm at a, like my friend JT, chapter and verse. <laughs> That's not what Paul says. He doesn't say that, you know, we just leave it to God to discipline you. Paul, he says those who are sinning, and he's still talking about these elders, bishops, pastors, rebuke them in the presence of all that the rest may also fear. Pastor? We have an accusation against you. We know that it's true. We've talked to everyone. We got it on tape. Well, we, we know it's true. Well, you know what? You just got to pray for me. I'm your brother in Christ. Yeah, we're going to pray for you. Um, we calling the church meeting, sir. We have to rebuke you in front of everyone. Well, can't I just have a private conversation? No. No. With a position where people follow your example, when you step out of line, we have to rebuke you in front of everyone so that everyone can recognize this is a bad example. We can't follow that. Rebuke them in front of everyone so that everyone can fear. Verse 21, I charge you um, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice. Don't just don't just, you know, uh, uh, discipline some people and not everyone. Do this without prejudice across the board. Every single pastor, every bishop, every elder. Maybe this should be applied if this was if this was applied the church would not be struggling right now with the issues of sexual abuse. Oh, we just shuffle them around, send them to another diocese, send them to, let, just quietly let them resign and just go into a different church. I was, saw this on Twitter two days ago. I think that there was a, 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 a pastor um, you know that this has been a, a big struggle right now in the SBC, and uh, and so they have these uh, this pa- this pastor he put on Twitter said that it, it it broke his heart. He had a youth pastor come and apply to be the youth pastor at his church, and so he's calling the references. He calls the pastor of the church this youth youth pastor came from, and he said he's asking questions like. Has this person been involved with any children? And the pastor won't answer the question. (laughs) 
So we just let you resign and go to another church and affect other children. Observe these things without prejudice. I don't want to destroy his life. His life should be destroyed because he's destroying other people's lives. Well, he's only a man. We can't fault him for, you know, having, you know, the first lady and the first girlfriend. <laughs> I, 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 just, I just go because I hear the word. What about the example that you're getting? I don't care if they're on TV and stuff like that. Observe this without prejudice. Doing nothing with partiality. And notice what he says, verse 23, uh, verse 22, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't just be in a rush to throw people in ministry. Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. How do you share in other people's sins? Just throwing people in ministry quickly, right? Don't do that. Don't be hasty. Don't participate in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. James is trying to teach us that teaching is no light thing. You are not just affecting people's life. You are affecting people's eternity. And people are not just going to follow what you say. They are going to follow what you do. So what God says is, if you want this role, great. On Judgment Day, you're going to answer not just for yourself, but for every single person who heard you. James says we should pause <laughs> and examine ourselves to find out if we are really ready to take that step. Now, when we move on, the reason I said I wanted to talk about, you know, how to handle your tongue, but I think that this whole conversation about your tongue is wrapped into this idea of many people should not be teachers because you will receive a stricter judgment, right? And so James's point, he takes this idea of why we should not seek the office of being a, a teacher, right, and applies it to our tongue, right? Because the same instrument that you are using to edify people is the same instrument that is going to condemn you. Now, we got 11 minutes to get to glory days. <laughs> so I'm going to wrap this up. But we're going to come back next week <laughs> all right, and look at verses 2 through 12, all right, and see how we are supposed to or not supposed to use our tongues. Right? And it has something to do with blessings and cursings. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for allowing us to come again to hear your word. I pray, Lord, that you would just keep working in our hearts, Lord. You have 
um, called so many people to the, the role of, of teaching. But before we take that step, Lord, we should all examine ourselves to make sure that we are ready. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to examine ourselves to make sure that we are living up to not only uh, the ability to teach, but also up to the ability of, of setting the example. And all of us should constantly be pushing ourselves um, in this area. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to uh, work in and through each person that, that you have called to teach, not only in the upper room, but also in the body of Christ uh, around the world. It should never be said that uh, that uh, people who, who are in church are hypocrites or things like that. It should, um, our lives should reflect all that was just said about being an example of love and purity and godliness. And I pray, Lord, that one day it will be said of all those who are teaching your word. We thank you now again for allowing us to hear your word. And I pray that by your spirit, you would continue to grow us and develop us because all of us fall short of, of these standards, but at least we should try to pursue them. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let us...